You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. This shadow, even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Furrow, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. What are we holding on to, Sam? There's some good in this world, Mr. Fertile. And it's worth fighting for. Welcome, everyone, to the 602 Club. I mean, the Green Dragon, the Prancing Pony, whatever you want to call it. We're back. That's right. We're continuing on with our Lord of the Rings retrospective. And I'm so excited to be here tonight. It's just been so fun diving back into these films. And for me personally, I've been rereading the books along with it. So it's been a real joy, a real Tolkien extravaganza for myself. And so. So excited to be back here with you, uh, the listener. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, you can find us everywhere. You know that. You can find us on iTunes at iTunes.com slash TrekFM. We're on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Join in the conversation over at the Babel Conference. That's our listeners-only discussion group. Just type Babel into the search field there on Facebook. Or if you go to our website at Trek.FM, you can click discussion on any of the mini bars and that'll bring you right to our listeners only discussion group the babel conference and of course you can just send us an email we'd love to get some emails about what you thought about the two towers send that into trek.fm slash contact just choose a show choose the 602 club and that'll come straight to me and i'm so excited to have back with me Megan. Megan how are you doing? I'm doing great I'm so excited to talk about the two towers. I really wish that, I mean, when I talk about these films or I think about these films, I feel like I do. I need to have a tankard of ale in front of me <laughs> and my Lord of the Rings pipe going. Uh, yeah. But unfortunately, uh, not a lot of smoke in the apartment. Uh, so no pipe and, well, no ale because uh, I worked out today and I got to drink water. So got to take care of the body. Uh, <laughs> like uh, if I want to run like Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli for days upon days, uh, I need to work out some more. So you got to avoid that old Toby. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, well, uh, really. So the two towers obviously following up a year right after the Fellowship of the Ring and the Fellowship of the Ring was just a huge hit. Uh, people loved and, and I think it's crazy not only did they love it, but people went back and saw it multiple times, which I know I did. And then, of course, once the extended edition came out, people were gobbling that up as well. And then, of course, uh, The Two Towers, like I said, hits a year later. And I have to say, this movie, it just opens with a bang. You know, um, the the monster opening that this film has and the way that it brings you right back into Middle Earth, I thought was pretty genius. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's right where you wanted the story to pick up. And 
We get to see what happens with Gandalf, which I love. And again, I think we talked about this last time. These extended editions are like the only editions for me. So I don't even remember. I feel like this section was longer in this one than it was in the theatrical release. I don't exactly recall if you see everything that happens with Gandalf like you do in this one. But getting to see that battle with the Balrog is so satisfying and we get to we know we're going to get our Gandalf back no I, I I just like the way that the movie starts off you know because it is really what happened to Gandalf but at the same time it, it's bringing you right back into Frodo almost like having a nightmare uh, of, mm-hmm. of what I guess maybe he's dreaming what happened or but the way in which it just kind of I mean this is one of those things. In the book has been around for so long. Everybody knew Gandalf was coming back. And if you hadn't read the books, it wasn't like you couldn't have found it online at that point. You weren't going to hide the secret that, you know, we were going to get Gandalf being back as Gandalf the White. And so I felt like opening the film like this was just so, like you said, satisfying to actually kind of see that battle you know, happening through the air of them falling and falling and falling to the lowest depths of the highest heights, you know, uh, the it's just an incredible scene. And whether or not all the special effects in that scene completely hold up, I just don't care because I'm so enjoying what's going on. And I find it to be exhilarating. And it's good that it's exhilarating because this movie has some some setup to do before we'll get to another battle. So the movie kind of starting off with a really big adrenaline moment like that, I think is really smart. Yeah, because so much of the first half of this movie is build up. Um, I have to be totally honest. This is one of my favorite. This one might be my favorite one out of the three of them. However, it is kind of hard to pay attention to everything that's happening at the beginning because there's so much setup happening uh, that this time around, I've seen it so many times. Uh, I kept catching myself fiddling on my phone. I feel like, put it down, watch this movie. So yeah, to have it start off with this great battle and then lead into the rest of the story that's building up towards these massive battles at the end, it's a great way to start the film. It really is. And and I, I like the fact that the film... And it's interesting because, uh, you know, this is one of those things where from the book to the film, it's very different because the book is, after the fellowship, it's broken into two parts. You know, it's broken into the part with the rest of the fellowship, and then it's broken into the Sam and Frodo part. Mm -hmm. And those two don't meet. And I think one of the really genius parts of that is that when you're reading it for the first time, if you've never seen the movies and you're just reading the books, that actually is a a really interesting storytelling element because it's very realistic, especially for, you know, a a world that doesn't have internet and Facebook and all this stuff where you can just update your status where you are. Uh, The characters don't know what's happening with each other, you know? And so that Mm -hmm. creates a really interesting story element in the book. But here, of course, we're in the film and you, you can't just tell half a movie you're gonna go all Aragorn and the rest and then you know you follow uh, Frodo and Sam you can't do that so it does have to be intercut with those storylines and I do like at least here in the beginning the way that those weave together and on top of using the Gandalf moment at the very beginning to bring us to Frodo and Sam I think is just really smart and so yeah, I just, I really, really like that about this movie. And I think, uh, too, the thing that for me, you said you think this is probably your favorite. And I think this might be my favorite, too. And part of that, I think, is the the new things that we get here in this yeah. movie. And one of them are the, you know, the, we got new places and new creatures. And for me, as much as I love Gondor, uh, for men, you know, I, I I I think Rohan's my favorite, and I think Rohan's more interesting. Yeah, yeah, and, and maybe it's because I was trying to think about what why that is for me, 
and and maybe it's because I feel like it's the thing that's really drawing the most from N- Norris mythology for Tolkien, and I really enjoy Norris mythology. And so when you walk in, you know, to Edoras uh, and the Golden Hall, it's it's like being back uh, in you know like a Beowulf setting, and I really love that. Uh, I, I really enjoy that type of mythology and. There's just something rich and deep and and fascinating about the the Rohan people. I find that it's just to me it's mind boggling. And then, as we've talked about a thousand times, I think the scenery that they get for especially Edoras is outstanding. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's actually a really interesting question. Um, What is it about Rohan that makes it so interesting? Because I'm right there with you. I feel like Rohan feels more like it could be a real place, whereas Gondor just feels so fantastical. Um, But Rohan, it feels like it's rooted in reality, and maybe that's the North mythology-ness about it. But it feels like I remember reading the book. It felt like I could have gone there and met these people. I think we get a lot of more interesting characters out of Rohan as well. You know what? I, I think that's a that's a really fast, especially in the Two Towers. Yeah, especially here. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, I, I completely agree. And I would say specifically even more so the book than the movie. Yeah. And we'll talk about it later, the difference between some of the characters movie and book but yeah no i i think you're right Uh, because when you think of uh, as cool as minas tirith is that place is just not physically possible yeah you know uh i uh, really uh unless it's built by you know these super strong numenorean men way back in the day i just that's not a thing we could do but we can legitimately build edoras you know i mean and they did it was on which is crazy because, you know, Tolkien describes Adoras, and if you're reading it, it is in a valley on a hill, uh, basically a small mountain, but between mountain ranges. And mm-hmm. they found that somehow. They just, I don't know. what, Like, what an amazing place that they found. I don't know how they did it. Once again, New Zealand, like, what are you doing to us? You have everything. Exactly. No, they do. And it's it's an incredible place because then they legitimately built those sets on and top. And it's such a beautiful oh, one too. It's gorgeous. It is it's so good. In fact, when we were watching the movie, my wife even said she's like, I just I can't believe they built that for real. Uh, now obviously once you walk inside the hall, you are on a set. But right. the, everything else, all the 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 entire city there on top of that hill was created and it looks like it had been there forever and they just stumbled upon it in the New Zealand wilderness and it's amazing. Oh, I completely agree. It's it really is amazing. And so I think you're you're right on track that there is something very familiar and very almost comforting I think about the people yeah. of Rohan and the situation that they're in too. I mean, I I think we're we're much more used to in stories and especially kind of fairy type stories where a king is under the sway of uh, an evil advisor and that's exactly what's happening here. So I think all of that really goes into it. And so, yeah, I just, I really, Edoras itself is a place that, oh my gosh, I wish that that was one of the things that was still there from the Lord of the Rings oh, God, set. Me too. But that is a place that they legitimately had to take everything apart, put it all back the way that they found it. And so it it does not exist anymore. It only exists in the extras that you get and, of course, in the film. So uh, it's the only place that you'll get to see it. And, um, yeah, they, they just did such a good job to make that place come alive. And I think it's really helpful that they did that because so much about this movie especially this one even more than all uh even more than the first movie is fantastical you know um we're getting yeah, some super crazy creatures and everything and so continuing to have all those big sets and everything so grounded in reality i think it makes it m- more believable in some way you know yeah it makes everything especially the craziness that is the battle of helm's deep it makes it feel like something that 
actually happened in history and you totally believe that sure this whole army of elves showed up to help fight the men fight the armies of Sauron and it's just it's I think and I think all of this put together is one of the things that helps make this movie one of my favorites and I I think you're right you know the thing that we've been talking about with Adras also applies to Helm's Deep because even though the the deeping wall looks crazy because it, it's clearly made out of massive stone blocks, it does feel still very real. It it still feels yeah. very rooted in like castle type technology and those kind of things. So yeah, I, I love that. I think it's really fantastic. Yeah, and I love I I just love all of the characters that we get introduced to um at Edoras. You know, we meet Eowyn, we meet Aomer, we meet Theoden, we meet Wormtongue, and all of these characters I know we're gonna talk more about later are so pivotal to stuff that's happening in this movie and stuff that's gonna happen later. Um and I think they're all cast so well and acted so well. And they all really feel a part of this new place that we're getting introduced to. And the other thing to me, and I am originally from Texas. And so what's funny is, you know, when I read the, the Battle of Helm's Deep, you know, this is their their last gasp, their their final stand. And to me, it just kind of feels like Middle Earth Alamo. Yeah, it's the Alamo. <laughs> it is um, on on a much grander scale. The Alamo. Uh, if you go to San Antonio, you'll be surprised at just how small the mission actually is. It's and tiny. Isn't it is. It? it is tiny, and unfortunately, there's nothing left really of the rest of the compound anymore. No. So, yeah. Well, and they've moved it too. My husband's from there, so I spent yeah. a lot of time out there. I don't even think it's in its original location. Yeah. So, so it's. But this, I, I think it's just a phenomenal set. And what I love, too, is, again, this is a set that they built, and they built this in a rock quarry, and they built as much of it as possible. Obviously, they can't make it full scale. But then in that same rock quarry, they built what we would call the biggest bigature of the series, which was creating, I, I can't remember, the, I, I haven't watched the extras in a while, so I don't remember the scale that it was, but it's like, one-third scale, basically, the original with the, the normal size would be. And so, yeah, oh my gosh, this is an amazing, an amazing set uh, and an incredible achievement, I think. And again, you know, the, the reality of it, um, I think, is, is just fantastic because as much as they could do outside, you know, they did. Uh, and I remember watching the extras and they... Helm's Deep was like a three-month night shoot. Yeah, it was hell. Yeah, apparently. in the rain because they're having yeah. it rain and it's cold and oh, it just it just sounded awful. But they did it and it and it looks phenomenal. I mean, this the, that is one of the the pinnacle battle scenes I think in any film these days. Uh, yeah. Still, Helm's Deep. I, I think even watching it again, it holds up really, really well. It really does. And watching the scene and having read the books, and this is one of my favorite parts of the book, you really get the feeling that they were like, if we're going to do this and we have to do this, we're going to do it right. And they really did it right. Oh, oh, yes. And I love that they, this was a place where, they almost pulled really far away from the book. And their original idea is that they wanted to try and find a way to have Arwen more involved. And they thought, well, let's have her show up with the elves. And the, the more they thought about it, the more it just, it, it just didn't feel right for the character and who she is throughout the story of the book, which is very minor. Her main storyline comes in the appendices later on. And so I was really glad that they didn't have her show up. But I do love still, even though it's not in the book, I love the moment that the elves appear because it is just kind of that, okay, we might get through this kind of thing. And it just it's just a great moment. It's fantastic. Yeah, and the way that the army looks when they arrive is so impressive and 
yeah, you really feel like, okay, we've got a shot at this now, especially because we've been going through, you know, many, many minutes of how nervous everyone is and how hopeless and how hopeless this whole battle feels. So to have them show up is just so satisfying. I love it. No, you're exactly right. And <laughs> they show up and they're all pristine and perfect. And, you know, they're so beautiful. And exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> and we've got all these Rohan men who, like, you know, Legolas had said, they'd seen too many winters or too few. Too few. And, yeah. and it's, uh, you know, you have these pristine warriors show up and it's just phenomenal. And so, um, yeah, no, I, I really. I really love the way that they do this scene. And, and, and I just want to give a special shout out to, I love the armor and the weapons for Rohan, especially Theoden's armor, which oh, yeah. is impeccable. I mean, it just looks phenomenal. And all of it feels real because it is real armor that could function. Um, I, I think it's just, it's something that, I never get tired of seeing when I'm watching the films. And, uh, you know, I have Theoden's sword. It's hanging on my wall in my hallway uh, along with Andrew. And it's it's just those are incredible pieces of work. And um, I, I really like, again, the attention to that it feels Norris, but without being a one-for-one, one, like you're just, oh, that, you know, it has the familiarity, but it's it also feels by. right. But it also feels like it's from Rohan. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I just love the scenes of seeing everyone getting prepared because that's when you really see all of the worksmanship that goes into all of these pieces of armor. And uh, you know, we get a great little piece of comedy with Gimli and his too long chainmail dress although he complains more about it being too tight along the chest which Aragorn gives him that look like oh that's the place that it's yeah yeah. that's the issue okay um and then I love the scene where Theoden is being dressed in his armor because it's such a phenomenal character moment for him and we really see how much he's doubting everything and you know he's questioning every decision he's made up until this point and it's just a great piece of acting. Completely agree. You know, I think that's just uh, the whole thing. It's just it's really working, especially when it's coming to Rohan and, and how they're handling the characters. And I just I really enjoy all of that. And on top of all of that that we get new, like basically just a whole new culture, uh, we also mm-hmm. get a very different type of culture, which is the Ents. and. I have to say, you know, for the most part, um, I love bringing them to life. I love the imagination that they came up with. Um, rereading the book, they do feel more man treeish than tree man. Tree manish, yeah, I completely yeah. agree. Uh, but I think for the film, it works really, really well. And the the creature design, because Treebeard, um, when he's holding the hobbits, is real. Uh, he's a real thing they're sitting on. It works great. So I, all the technology is not perfect anymore uh, with the blending of the different types of technology they are using. But I just, I love the character. I love what he has to say. And I love what the the Ents, you know, stand for. And I, I think it's a it's a wonderful addition to the story. Even if it is just Gimli's voice playing Treebeard. <laughs> I don't mind that. It doesn't bother me at all. The Ents. How much do I love the Ents? I love them so very much. I think they are my all-time favorite thing to come out of the Lord of the Rings books. There is something about them that just touches my heart so much. I don't love them in the movie, but they did it well enough that I can get past it and still really enjoy it. Like you said... Uh, I think the character design is less, is not quite what I had in mind. He's not quite big enough. He's not quite slow enough. But we have a movie that we have to get through, right? So it can't be perfect. And I do, I this is one of the things I do remember between the extended edition and the, the- theatrical releases. Uh, they cut out a lot of his poetry. 
And I love how they kind of weaved it back into the extended edition by having him speaking and they have all these great helicopter shots over all the forests of New Zealand and you kind of have a, a couple of moments of communing with the trees with Treebeard. Uh, so I'm just so glad that it made it into the movie and that it wasn't completely terrible because it's my favorite part of the adventure. I love Marion Pippin. I love them hanging out with Treebeard. And I love the battle for Isengard. It's so satisfying and fun to watch. Uh, and I think my favorite part is the the Ent guy who's catching on fire. And as the water is coming into Isengard, he runs and puts his head out in the waters. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's phenomenal. Love that. I love the Ents. No, I I really do. Uh, I I love uh, the the Ents as well. And and what I love about them is the way in which it, you know they talk about uh, the respect for the resources at our disposal. Um, and uh, you know, in war, things get forgotten, especially like the land itself and yeah. the idea of being good stewards. And nobody has been good stewards of the woods. Even the elves haven't been great stewards of the woods as much as they used to because of all that's been going on. And that relationship between the elves and the Ents has, has gone awry because uh, the elves have been too preoccupied with everything. Uh, and they haven't been, you know, talking to Ents anymore. And so it just, I love all of that. And I love that part of the book. And, and so I bring that into the movie. Uh, the one thing I wish that the movie had that it, the, the book doesn't is Golden Beam. Uh, the uh, Ent that, um, as they're still having the Ent moot, he's the one who decides that that he's ready, he's hasty, he's basically the most hasty of all of the Ents, and he's ready to, to just go, and I think that um, is phenomenal. Uh, I also, I, I like the way that they use the story with Merry and Pippin being very much a part of why it's important um, that they're there. And so, even though the Ents make that decision by themselves in the book, uh, they don't need Mary yeah. and Pippin. But I, I, I think it's smart. You know, it, it gives a little bit of, of good reasoning for them to be there. And again, I'm with you. I, when they go to tear up Isengard, it's phenomenal. And so that satisfying. Is, yeah. And, and, and really, the way in which they bring that to life is fantastic. Um, so uh, I really, really like that. And I, I feel like they do justice to the book in that scene. Uh, yeah, it's so I good. Agree. Yeah. I do have to say that the rest of the Ents, other than Treebeard, don't look as they're kind of weak. Yeah, yeah. They're not as cool looking as him. You can tell they spent way more time designing Treebeard than anyone else. No, completely agree. Um, it is definitely something where they, you can tell that, um, Treebird is this real thing that they've created and they've it's a hybrid and all and yeah the rest of them are all CGI and it's it's just not the best work uh, when they're close up you know when they're far away mm -hmm. and they're all just it like really destroying matter. things it it looks yeah. great but yeah no exactly so so on top of uh, a whole new culture two different cultures really we do get some really phenomenal new people in the movie and I think for me, my favorite of all of them, honestly, is Eowyn. Mm -hmm. And I love her. I love her story because obviously I, I also love where she goes in the story. But I think Miranda Otto playing her brings this wonderful sense of regalness and grace and beauty and all of those things, but a real fire Two, that this character is supposed to have. And I really, really like that, that, you know, she's somebody who she just wants to do something. Um, and I I love that. Um, and I love the character. And I think, uh, you know, she's the, uh, if you can say, she's the Middle Earth feminist of the story, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I love it. I just, she's she's so fantastic. And I, I, I can't stop saying that I love it. Yeah, I, I agree. She is one of my favorite characters in the whole series. When I read the books, I adored her. She was the kind of woman that I wanted to be. She knew what she wanted. She wasn't going to take anyone's crap. Uh, and she wanted to protect her home, just like any normal person would want to. And, you know, for the longest time, I, I thought that 
I was totally buying into her and Aragorn being together forever uh, when I was reading the books. So uh, I, I just love her. She's an amazing character, and I totally agree with you. I think that um, Miranda Otto is so well cast in the role, and I just love that we get to meet her finally in this in this movie. And I and I like that, like you said, she's she's somebody who. She's seen all of these things been happening around her and she hasn't been able to do anything about it. And finally, she gets the opportunity to do something. And and what I actually really like, especially at, at Helm's Deep, you know, she wants to fight. And the reason that they ask her not to and they send her to the caves is who will lead the people if we all die? Yeah, you're exactly. You're the leader. You know, you're going to be the one who that we would entrust to lead. You're the only one with the strength to. And I thought that said a lot about the character and, and that the responsibility which she was given is wasn't because she was a woman. It's because she's the only one we could trust to actually be in leadership, you know, uh, if everybody's dead. Um, yeah. And I thought that was, that was actually a really strong and beautiful statement for the character and for who she'll, especially who she's going to become. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's a nice way to, it's a wonderfully well-written part, uh, especially for Tolkien who gets, you know. It's a boys club. Yeah, it's a boys club. It's a boys club. Yeah. Yeah. So even though, in yeah, uh, she turns out to be one of the most important people in the entire story, which is pretty fun. Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, she doesn't, I feel like in the movie, I don't think, um, I think in the movie she has a tendency to feel like she's being brushed aside as as the lady. Yeah. so this is one of the instances that I really recommend reading the book because when you read the book, it doesn't feel like that at all. It's just like you said, they trust her, they value her as a leader, and that's why they're asking her to do the things that she's doing. So I do feel like her character gets a little bit of the short end of the stick simply because of the way movies are structured and the way that they had to kind of cram everything into this movie. But that's okay because I still love her and we will still see all of the amazing things that she does later on. Well, and it's funny when we go back to this movie because, you know, her brother, Aomer, played by Carl Urban, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Bones. And man, is he, is he wonderful. I, 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 every time, you know, he has a small part in the film, but I really love it. So I, good. I, he is very, very good. And I, I think... What was great about that is that his part is small in the movie, and yet he has a gravitas on the screen that brings about an importance to you without having him to spend a lot of time on screen. And I think that's really wonderful. Uh, I actually yeah. really, really love that. And he's like unrecognizable. I think every time I watch this movie, I get, you know, a good five minutes into the first scene with Aomer, and I'm like, oh, that's right. That's Carl Urban. And it. Like he still never looks ever looks like Carl Urban to me. He always just looks like Aomer to me. He so embodies this character. And he's such a he's probably I think my favorite casting job for all of the new characters in this movie. Well, and he I mean, I think one of the reasons is the whole thing, the armor, the blonde wig that he has on, everything yeah. about him, he kind of just takes on a new persona and it's really really well done. So um, I'm with you. Uh, he is phenomenal, and uh, I think he'll get a he gets a real moment to shine in the next film. But we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> I I really like Bernard Hill as Theoden as well. Um, one, the man has an incredible, and in, I mean, incredible goatee. Uh, he that sure thing does, is he? is full and perfect. But on top of that. The way in which he portrays the character is wonderful. And there is a shift between how he's portrayed in the book and in the movie. But I think that he is just, you know, the king who feels like he's past his prime and past his time uh, and not sure how to really protect his people. Best is fantastic. And I really, really like him. Uh, and I've always really liked him as a character, uh, even from reading the book. So I, I can't imagine a better casting choice to bring that to life. But I think Bernard Hill really brings to the role this sense of 
having made such a big mistake, right? Having fallen to Wormtongue's evil spells and missing all of these hugely important things that have been happening around him, including the death of his own son. I can't even imagine what it would be like to wake up to that and realize that all of these things had happened around you seemingly with your with your blessing and just none of it was what you would have wished for your people. And now he's in this really dire situation where they're potentially all going to die. And I think he does a great job of portraying this this unease with what's happening around him, but he's also resigned to his fate and he's going to fight as hard as he can while he's still standing. And it's just such a beautiful portrayal. I completely agree. And, and that's one of the things that I, I really like about uh, Wormtongue and the character and, and who they cast. I think it's just fantastic. And the way that he plays that role of being the snake in the grass, you know, that mm-hmm. that has slowly worked its way in uh, before it's gotten its fangs into you. And it's just phenomenal. I mean... He's so um, slimy and Yeah, creepy. Brad Dorff was just perfect casting. Uh, and I, I don't even know what else you could say other than... And, and I, I is that a compliment to Brad Dorff that he's perfect casting for Wormsong? I'm not sure. I think so. oh man but he no he nails he nails that role of taking over for the king by sweet words that have lulled you know the king into a a stupor and i I kind of love what that says you know like the politician that always like just says what you want and and so you just you stop paying attention you stop caring and before you know it you're a weak old man or woman sitting there with you know years taking off of you wondering where your life went <laughs> it's uh vaguely familiar um these days but um <laughs> wonderful wonderful casting and in in a well-played role and so I, I really enjoy him as a character and and i think what's interesting is that the last main character that is really big in the movie that we get is faramir mm-hmm and Faramir is very different than he was in the book. Yeah. And it bothers me. Still, even rewatching the film and just having reread the book, I really don't like what they do to him. And you'll have to remind me some of the changes because it's been so long since I've read the book. What is the thing that you like the least about how they changed his character? So in the the book, Faramir is suspicious, obviously, of Frodo and Sam. And once he figures out who they are and why they're there, he is able to say, well, cool, let me give you a place to stay. Uh, I'll give you some food. And then I will send you on your way. Because he has no desire, like his brother, Boromir, to uh, to take the ring. He He wants no part of it. Uh, and what's interesting, I think, is that Faramir is much more in line with Aragorn as a character, and 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 I mean, his character as a person is in line with Aragorn's, where he could say no to the ring. Yeah. Uh, which they thought when they were making the movie, okay, we've just been saying that this ring is the most evil thing and the weakness of man and all this stuff. Uh, they just didn't feel like it worked for the film. But I just, I think it hurts the character too much to make him this kind of wishy-washy, oh, daddy doesn't love me, I want to, you know, do my part and all of that and be willing to take the ring back. And it, it, it I feel like it almost character assassinates the character of Faramir. Yeah. Even though he does make the turn later, uh... I, I think it really harms the character specifically in conjunction with the Eowyn character. Yeah, I, I, I think in the third movie in particular, that really kind of uh, towards the end of the film, that really makes itself apparent. You know, you saying that it really did help jog my memory because I remember when I was reading the books, I really loved Faramir as a character and did not like Boromir so much. 
and I thought that they were such great foils for one another. So yeah, you're right. Here in the movie, he falls prey to the same um, desires as his brother, which is one of the things that made me like him so much when I read the books is he's he's strong and he's someone that you can kind of get behind and trust as one of the future leaders of the world of men, right? I do love David Wenham in the role, though. Mm-hmm, yeah. Beautiful casting job. A great casting. And I, I think that what's so interesting about the story is that I don't feel like, I feel like you could add suspense to the role by making Frodo and Sam unsure about who this character is and what's going to happen and build that suspense until finally there's that moment almost like at the top of um, uh, the the hill there in the in the first movie in the fellowship where uh, they're standing there uh, on the old uh, seeing stone area and you know Aragorn closes his hand and says I would have gone with you to the bitter end mm. you know that was another moment of tension because you didn't know what was going to happen I think they could have built up that same tension with Faramir until you make the revelation that he's not interested. Yeah. Um, and you could have used the death of Boromir like they do in the book because, uh, you know, Frodo hasn't heard about the death of Boromir and all that stuff. And again, making him uneasy. You can really do a lot of that stuff. If I feel like if you wrote the part and just continued to kind of ratchet up the tension until that moment. And it would have been much better for the character because... One of the things, and, and one of the things I love about Eowyn, uh, uh, to kind of combine these two things, Eowyn is in love with the idea of Aragorn and who he is. She sees the strength in him. I think she's reminded of um, people that probably what Theoden used to be, uh, what she also sees the, the good qualities in her own brother, She's seen strong men, and she knows what good men are, and she recognizes that in Aragorn. And I think the reason that in the in the third book where she's able to fall for Faramir as they're both healing in the Houses of Healing is because he is cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Uh, he's the same type of man, but he's available, you know? <laughs> um and so she's not trading down or anything. She gets to fall in love with a man who is just as is honorable and, and everything and can return her affection. Yeah. It feels like she ends up settling for him later on, which is disappointing. Right, right. Yeah. Which is not what you get in the book because no. they're, they're two men, again, very similar in, in, in their character and in who they are. You know, Aragorn is just, in the book, he's always in love with Arwen and, uh, you know, uh, desire for him uh, as a person is much more, I think, about her de desire to, f I don't know, I guess, uh, to, to find the strength in a good man and, and all of those kind of things. So, I, yeah, again, coming back to the Faramir character, it just hurts him. I feel like to do this to him and make him have to have the moment where ring wraith comes on the fell beast and almost takes the ring from Frodo and all and to realize to be woken up to the fact, Oh no, we can't, you know, it just, it's disappointing. Uh, it is. And I think part of the reason that they did that is because timeline wise, Frodo and Sam are just kind of wandering around a lot more. Yeah. If you're, it, 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 which is to be expected, uh, you know, as they're walking around with Gollum, and so uh, they, I guess, they felt like they needed to add some kind of more story there. But you know, the main thrust of this book is about, I think, the book was Rohan, really, mm -hmm. and the smaller part of the book is actually Frodo and Sam. Yeah, and that's okay. Uh, because Tolkien has a lot to do in that section. Uh, so I, I just, I don't know. Uh, it, it's, it, as much as I love this movie, it is still the thing that bothers me. So, um, but I think that's a good uh, jumping off point to talk about Gollum. Yeah, it's a great point. Because he's got a lot to do with uh, Faramir. Oh, he does. And, and I think what I love about 
the risk that they take here is the way in which they stumble into the idea of motion capture mm-hmm. uh, with Andy Circus, you know, and, and Andy had really been hired to to be a voice and then they put him on set with them and put him in this ridiculous suit uh, and had him doing all of these things, basically doing the part, acting the part, being Gollum on screen with the characters. And I think what what's great is that even though Gollum is in a CGI achievement at the time, and you can see the cracks in the CGI now. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't what, look great. No, but what works is is that with the characters, the interactions that he has with them, it feels real because they were legitimately looking on screen where he was. They were being grabbed by him on screen when it was happening. So I think that's what makes it so phenomenal is their choice to pioneer something completely new paid off even though the cgi itself isn't up to what we would do today the effect still works because of actually how they filmed the film yeah it allows the actors to give a much more natural performance because they have something that is physical and real to act against which is one of my pet peeves about this all of this use of cgi because it's hard as an actor to try and emote against a green ball on a stick, right? So to have Andy Serkis, phenomenal actor, and he he deserves all the accolades that he gets because he works his ass off as a physical acting actor, and then they take him out of everything that he does and replace him with a computer-generated character. So it creates this great character and something that really allows the other actors around him to do their jobs in the best way that they can. I think it's the this kind of CG um, performance and motion capture, I think is the next best thing to having a physical creature like the Jim Hansen Creature Shop does because it helps create the world for the actors as much as it does for the audience. Well, I think it's it's the thing that w- is so in- incredible, you know, because, again, they pioneer all of this. You know, they create the motion capture to which we think of now where, you know, you have the person in the suit and they've got all the dots all over their face and they're capturing all that information and stuff and creating these uh, very uh, believable, realistic characters. And it all starts here because they put him on set and have him with the actual characters themselves Mm -hmm. with Frodo and Sam walking through the wilderness together and I think it's an amazing thing but also what I love about this story is the way in which you know Frodo when confronted with Gollum begins to understand he this is who I could become yeah this is who I am becoming and 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 what I love is that he has pity because he realizes that he may be somebody that others will discount as lost forever. And is he truly going to be lost forever in this quest? And I I think that's a really beautiful thing because it's interesting to watch this, uh, this film and, and even read the book and you think about the way in which people get lost in kind of like addictions and stuff and people just give up on them. Uh, and it, it really, there's a whole side of that that I think of every time that I see this, uh, because people do just give up on others, you know, and, and Frodo doesn't give up on Gollum here, but part of it is a selfish thing of, please God, I, I don't, I don't want to be lost forever. Yeah. And part of that, the great foil for all of that, right, is the way Sam treats him because it's so... It's so painful to see how horridly he treats Gollum simply for those reasons. Like you say, he's just written him off. He doesn't consider him to be a being worthwhile at all. And to have that great juxtaposition of Frodo struggling with, A, he needs to get something out of Gollum for his own need, for his own means, and B, that, he, like you said, he's becoming like that. And he's got, he's feeling that sense of pity and 
Yeah, it just it makes everything with Sam that much more frustrating. And it was one of my favorite things reading the book is Sam is so mean to him and you just want to shake him sometimes and be like, Sam, you're actually a nice person. Why are you treating him like this? But at the same time, you can kind of understand it. So there's so much great uh, character stuff happening with Gollum and Sam and Frodo in, in this film. It's 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 fun to watch. It's hard to watch. I think what's really interesting, too, is that there really are two sides to it because in the end, Gollum is a villain and he always will be. And Sam can see that. Yeah. Um, And I think that's what's really interesting. They're both right, right? Yeah, they are. Exactly. (laughs) He's a complicated character. It is. And that's what's so fascinating. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, uh, the scene with Gollum when he's going back and forth between himself, you know, Gollum and Smeagol. Uh, is such a fantastic scene that that bipolar nature that he has you know there's a part of him that does want to be good there's a part of him yeah. that's completely evil who you know killed his friend just to get the ring and so i i love that interplay and honestly too what i love is that it almost brings to life that battle that we kind of have with ourselves Absolutely. a lot of our lives you know um it's the almost the literal angel and the devil sitting on each shoulder uh, come to life in one person, and, and that really plays out there, and I think it's really nice uh, to see. So uh, it's it's a really uh, well-done, well-done character, and uh, they, they really deserve all the accolades they have. And, and again, I want to stress, it doesn't hold up as well as it, it used to, but... Anytime you're pushing the boundaries, that's going to happen in film. That's just the way it is. Anytime you introduce a new type of special effect. So I have no problem with it because you recognize it for the greatness that it was yeah. and, and what it continues to give us today. So, I mean, I mean, think of, you know, The Force Awakens with Maz Kanata, that they create that character with the same type of thing. They just continue to refine it. So it is pretty wonderful. And it's still such a great performance, even if the CG doesn't look phenomenal anymore. I think the performance really comes through and it helps you suspend your disbelief a little bit more. Completely agree with you. No, I completely agree with you. And I think it's because of the earnestness of Andy Serkis and the performance that was there on set, which translated mm-hmm. then to the pixels, which was fantastic. Exactly. And I think, uh, you know, that's one of the things too, kind of, uh, we talked a little bit the thematic elements with Gollum, but I also really like, you know, this whole idea about wisdom in war um, and, and how do we respond to evil? You know, do we run and hide? Do we hope that it will leave us alone or do we stay in and fight? And I thought that was really fascinating. I, I, even just the world in which we're living now is very timely. You know, this idea like, and it's it's not an easy question. It's really not. It, there is no easy answer because saying, okay, well, we, we need to go to war over something. Th- that's not to be taken lightly. Uh, and I, I love this this whole idea of understanding when to act and when not to act, and the importance, obviously, too, of not waiting till it's too late to act. All of these questions and how to figure that out, it, it's a great theme. Yeah, I agree, and I, I think that plays out the most in King Theoden and his decision to bring his people to Helm's Deep, right? Because he and Aragorn are such at odds about that, whereas Aragorn wants to stay and fight uh, right there, uh, in Edoras, but I think Theoden was acting in his people's best interest. He's like, we've got to get us to a place where we can defend ourselves in the best possible way. So um, it, it does feel like maybe he's retreating, but really he's not. Well, and I think you're right because for for Theoden, and this is it, it is different in the book um, that. Theoden and and they go to Helm's Deep because it is the most defensible position that yeah. they have. Uh, Edoras is is not. It's right it's, out wide in the open. Yeah, like which you is can't defend that. That you would have your main castle for your kingdom and anyway. Um, <laughs> but no, you're right, and 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 so 
the idea of of going there for the last stand uh, is, and that this is the best way to keep our people safe is is phenomenal. And I think you know the decision also plays out too for the Ents. You know, mm-hmm. uh, what do we do? Uh, do we go to war? Do we not go to war? And what I really liked is you know Marion and Pippin. And again, it's it's different from the book, but I think it's a really important thing. But you're part of this world, yeah. and if you don't help, it could all be lost. And so you'll be gone too. You know, if Sauron takes over the world, it's game over, folks. I love how Pippin tricks him into going over towards Isengard so that he can see the truth of what's happening. Because part of what they they weren't making a fully informed decision, right? These ants they they've been living in the woods, d- doing whatever ants do, sleeping mostly. They they have no idea what's actually happening. So that little trick was a great way of helping them open their eyes and see. And Treebeard's rage is so phenomenal. And they do in the books, the whole forest comes to life and to life and participates in this battle. And they kind of do a nod to that. I totally understand why they can't do that in this movie. Um, but that's one of my favorite parts is because literally the earth is rising up against what is happening. And it's such a beautiful battle. <laughs> it makes me happy to see the earth fighting for itself. And I like what you said about, you know, they don't have all the information. Yeah. You know, they, they're they going off basically just half half of what they need to make a decision uh, because they're, they, they're discounting or what the hobbits are telling them. Yeah, they don't fully believe or fully understand what they're being told. Right. And I think that's a really important thing, too, when you think about this idea of how do we make decisions is is not being blind to what's actually happening. Goodness me, seen a lot of that these days. Uh, <laughs> so in every area of life, you know, not just politics, but I mean, that's just something that I think we all tend to do. Almost it's human the nature. Idea, yeah, to stick our heads in the sand and say, oh, well, don't worry, it'll be fine. Well, and it's human nature, too, to, you know, it's one thing to have someone explain something to you, right? Like, intellectually, you can understand it and think that you know what's going on. But so many things, until you see it firsthand or experience it firsthand, it just, it doesn't click. There's just something that doesn't click. And so that's exactly what happened with the Ents. They they understood it, but they didn't understand, right? <laughs> they didn't get it. No, exactly. And, and I think... That's the the thing that I really do love um, about the the Lord of the Rings series is that it is about all of these different peoples and different cultures coming together to face down evil. And, And part of that is naming the evil and... Um, knowing who the enemy is and being okay with saying we have to do something. Even if we'll lose, we have to try because there's never a guarantee of of success in the story. It is only the hope that they can succeed, and I think that's a really important thing. Um, And their hope is found in doing it together rather than mm-hmm. separately. And I think that's a that's a pretty beautiful thing to see in, in the movie and in the book. You know, it is about all of the, you know, elves and dwarves and men and ents and hobbits, hobbits all is. coming together. Yeah, yeah. hobbits is <laughs> all coming together. And a person that everybody discounts um, finding a way to destroy uh, evil once and for all. And I think that's pretty beautiful. And, uh, you know... Um, that there's a cost to it too, and, and we'll oh, yeah. see that you know for sure. It, we've seen a little bit of it um, here, but we'll see even more of it uh, in the end. And so I think it's it's really it's wonderful. Last quick thing, I just have to shout out to uh, Howard Shore and the music. I really like this soundtrack a lot, and I love the hauntingly beautiful theme that he created for Rohan. You read my the, mind. Yeah, with the lone violin and so everything. Beautiful. It's just, it's it really is. It's fantastic. And it's such a perfect, it really helps to embody Rohan and, and what these people are like. It's 
It's just, like you said, it's hauntingly beautiful. It fits the, the feeling of the Rohirrim at the beginning of the film. This, this people that feels alone and feels discounted uh, mm-hmm. and uh, is almost kind of waning. You know, they're, they're on the edge of the knife. Mm-hmm. And the music captures all of that. And at the same time, creating that sense of kind of Norrisness that yeah. really is beautiful too. So all of it, it's fantastic. Um, and I think, I don't know, I guess, what, what do you think? If, if you rated the two towers, what, what do you think you would give as a rating? Hmm. Oh, I didn't come up with a clever... I didn't come up with a clever rating system. I'm still stuck on my uh, my pipe weed joke because I love that old Toby. <laughs> well, everybody does, so I'd have to give it three three pipes of old Toby out of three. I think it's my favorite of the three. Hmm, I like that. That's that's very poetic. No, I I'm with you. I think this is actually my favorite of the series, and uh, you know I'm not afraid to say that. I don't think it'll discount the conversation that we'll end up having about uh, the the Return of the King, but this is the one that I just I continually go towards. I think it's uh, again I talked about you know just loving the Rohirrim and, and that culture, and I think that's the reason that I really love this movie. Uh, and it's uh, you know one of the things that's always interesting to me in trilogies is is the way in which the middle film tends to open up the world and this one really does that i mean the mm-hmm. the world is wide open and i think it it does a really great job of just digging you in deeper to the story and everything and i i, I love the new characters we get the, the actors portraying them everything here is working for me for the most part uh and even with my problems with faramir it is still my favorite of the series and so i think that i will give this 3.75 ents out of three. And that is because <laughs> that one ent, he got hit one of his arms chopped off by the orcs, uh, you know, but he's still good. You know, he's still 0.75 of an ent. So uh, even with that. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> but I love, I'm loving going through the series. I can't wait to get to the Return of the King uh, to, to finish up reading the book too. I'm just really glad that I've made that concerted effort to try and read through the book as well because it's been a lot of fun. I wanted to do that with the Harry Potter movies, but I just haven't had that much time. That's a uh, lot of reading, man. It's a lot of reading with all the other reading I do, but thank you so much for uh, all the listeners joining us. I really appreciate you guys. You guys are the best listeners. Thank you. Um, I'm so glad that we get to every week just talk about a great new geeky topic here. And, and we do that with uh, the support of our associate producers, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, and Norman Lau. Love these guys and, and for what they do for the network through Patreon. We are a listener-supported network, and if you would like to know how you can support the network each and every month, make sure all the content keeps coming to you. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm and just see how you can become part of the team. Every little bit helps, and we definitely do need you. We have so much going on here at Trek FM, and there's just no way we can do it without you. Again, just go to patreon.com slash trekfm. Megan, thank you so much for being here with me tonight. It has been a blast talking about this movie with you, and I can't wait to wrap it up. But uh, before we go... Let everybody know where they can find you and about uh, the podcast that you do over there at Educating Geeks. Yeah, so if you want to find me as a person, uh, you can find me at Meg Calcote. That's M-E-G-C-A-L-C-O-T-E. And that's on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, if you want to know more about my podcast, you can follow us at Educating Geeks. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And Educating Geeks is a lot like the 602 Club where we talk about programs, games, TV shows, movies that we want other people to get into. So if we find out that a good friend of ours has never seen the Lord of the Rings movies, we don't revoke their geek card. We say, hey, let's watch the Lord of the Rings together and then we talk about it afterwards. 
So we get this really neat uh, newbie perspective on some of our favorite things that we've been maybe really big fans of for a long time. So it's really fun to get that new perspective. And we're at educatinggeeks.com or once again, just educating geeks on your favorite social network. Well, I can be found all over the place as well. You can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine. I'm also doing literary tracks with Dan and Bruce talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek, which is a lot of fun. Uh, we also get a chance to interview the authors, which I really enjoy, so make sure you check that out. Of course, you can also find, uh, you're listening to the 602 Club now, but don't forget if you love all the Star Wars episodes we do, um, if you're just interested in Star Wars, you can find Star Wars The 602 Club collection there on iTunes in its own feed, so make sure you check that out if you're a huge Star Wars fan. And if you love Star Wars, you're going to want to check out Aggressive Negotiations that I do with John Mills. You can find that over on the nerdparty.com or, of course, on iTunes. That's Aggressive Negotiations. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs> <laughs>